chapter um, 4, verse 35 through 629, um, there are two sections here. How do you respond and what do you see? In chapter 4, verse 35 to 629, this section shows the kingdom and its king at work and the response of others as they see him work. So this has a number of highlights responses of people to Jesus in this first section. Now, again, I mentioned this last week. Remember what Jesus has just got done saying about his kingdom and rule. Number one, his kingdom will grow. Number two, his kingdom is unstoppable. Number three, he says his kingdom will be universal in scope. And yet, as you see these different responses to the kingdom, you see that it does grow. But at other times, you wonder if it's going to grow at all, given the responses of people to the news of the kingdom. So let's start with seeing the responses of people to the kingdom in chapter 4, verse 35, to chapter 6, verse 13. So let's, let's turn there. Okay, wow. <clears throat> Alright. Um, okay, let's let's really look at this if we can quickly. I don't know. Can we read this? Let's see what we can do. Oh. Thank you, uh, um, okay, let's do this. Someone read, who read verse uh, 35 to 41? 4, 35 to 41. Rachel. Someone read for us 5, 1 through 20. Is that, Jim? Who read that? I got it. You got it? Okay. Uh, 21, 5, 21 to 43. Five, Caleb. Uh, six, one through six. All right, and then six, seven through thirteen. Okay. All right. So let's read four thirty-five to six thirteen, verses thirty-five to forty-one. Okay. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, "Let us go across to the other side." And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. 
Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And he saw Jesus from afar. He ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the legion. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, the name by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with her, him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, about, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to her, disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing about around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to allow to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus said, saw a commotion of people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them out, all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand and said to her, Talitha which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she had twelve, she was twelve years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. 
And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that has been given him? Who does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of about the middle is just preaching and teaching. Oh, am I still reading? You're done. That's okay. Then. Well, mine doesn't say that. It just ends with lack of faith. Really? Yeah. Okay. The wow. next one is your part. <laughs> Sends out the 12. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> So you see the responses of people to the message of the kingdom. The first is um, the, the response of the disciples is terror. All right? Um, terror. And, and I want to again remind you, this isn't about Jesus can conquer all the storms in your life. That's not why this is here. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about you got to understand why the Holy Spirit put this here. What was his intention? His intention wasn't to tell you that Jesus calms all the storms in your life. The fact is, is to show that even his disciples, number one, responded with terror to him. They're fearful of him, right? They can't figure this out. Um, to them, he's a teacher. He gets up and rebukes the elements and they obey him. By the way, Mark is trying to communicate to you uh, something here that's very important. Jesus has um, this is supposed to this is supposed to bring up echoes in your mind, all right? Where what? In the very beginning, God speaks and, and everything comes into being. All the elements of nature come into existence. And here you have Jesus speaking and the elements of nature obey him. What does he think that's supposed to communicate? Right there. What is it? Anybody? What's that? Authority. Creator. Creator. Authority. Okay, it's another one of those things where, where Mark, or Peter, who's talking to Mark, hey, this is about Jesus being God. Right? So they respond to this, to this um, um, God event with terror. Okay? Uh, with terror. And then, the next one, the demon-possessed man responded to Jesus with what? What would you say he responded to Jesus with? Before after after the Lord um, drove all the demons away. I would suggest it's love. Okay? He responds with love, but how did the countrymen his countrymen respond? Rejection. Rejection? Fear. Rejection and fear. Okay? So in this in this account, right, 
Jesus' rule to him is deliverance. But to the people of that area, Jesus' rule means cost. It's going to cost us a lot. Right? We don't want you around. Um, it, the cost is too great to have you around. So you have um, fear, love and fear. Right? Deliverance as opposed to cost. And so you've got this response to the king. Alright? The next one, the synagogue ruler and a woman with a bleeding problem. Alright? So what's their response? What would you say their response is? The woman responds, what does Jesus say to the woman? What? Your faith has saved you, right? And then to the synagogue ruler, he says, don't worry about it, everything's going to be fine. In other words, he encourages faith. So you have faith here. In both of these, respond with faith. Okay? You see that. You know, as you were reading, I was listening, something struck me, and I don't know, I don't know how to put it in my notes, because I'm not sure if this is one, but what do the mourners do? They laugh. They laugh. They laugh. They laugh. I have to revise my notes here. I have to think this through. But the mourners laugh when Jesus says what he says. Right? What are you, crazy? Right? What about Jesus' hometown neighbors? What about them?
extra clothes. We just figured God's people would take care of us, right? Because of this passage. And uh, uh, I thought, oh my. And God took care of them, but God took care of them, I think, just because they were silly little children of Christians. And he, he, he said, I got to take care of these folks, even though they're misusing the scripture. Anyway, all right? Now we come to another response. This one's kind of highlighted. This one gets big press. It's the response of Harry to Jesus. Let's look at that. Beginning in verse um, 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are working. But others said, he's Elijah. Another said he was a prophet, like one of the prophets of Herod. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, who might be headed, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been sent to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod. The king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he bowed to her. Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, They have John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on the platter. The king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word with her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. Okay? Pretty graphic, pretty, you know, you think about that in the middle of a banquet, that's incredible. Um, here it seems that Mark is interrupting these different responses uh, with an historical note on John. It's like, whatever happened to John the Baptist, let me tell you about it. Well, he's got more in mind than that. Because the story here is triggered by the differing responses to Jesus that we've just seen. I think it's the same, it's in the same vein, okay? Um, there are differing responses, like what? Well, he must be like Elijah. Or he must be like one of the prophets who's come back from the dead. And one common response was to say that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. What, why are people responding that way? Why are they saying these things? Because like Jesus, John fiercely proclaimed the kingdom of God and its righteousness coming in the person of Jesus. The prophets were people. Elijah in particular was one who spoke to people in power, right? And the prophets were fearless in their proclamation of what God expected. And so that's why they kind of identify Jesus with these other prophets, John included, because he was a fearless proclaimer of the truth of God, 
And because of that, he was like John, he was like Elijah, he was like the other prophets. And so people are responding to those kinds of responses. It's, it's probably a raised prophet. Maybe John the Baptist, okay? Um, The prophets were also met uh, with persecution. Okay? So John preached the kingdom of Christ and lost his life over it. He preached righteousness and lost his life. I think it's interesting that that people today talk about the bravery of someone who, who speaks truth to power. Right? Who speaks truth to power. It's interesting. It's the kind of truth that John said people would not like. Right? He married you can't marry that woman. That's wrong. But Herod's example gives us another response to the preaching of the kingdom. And again, it's fear. Okay? It's fear. Herod responded as he did to John because he was afraid of men. So we'll look at Proverbs 29.5. Proverbs 29.5. Rejection, 
the cost is too high. You've got uh, Herod and what he's doing. You've got um, you've got your own neighbors being offended by you. There's some good and there's a lot of bad. How in the world can the kingdom advance with all these kinds of different responses? All right. What does it make you think about your efforts? What does it make you think about your efforts? When you go out from here and you share the gospel with people, you encourage them in the gospel and all those sorts of things, what happens at some point? You know, it, it seems like you're making advances. And sometimes, a lot of times, it seems like you're not getting anywhere. Look, after 38 years of ministry, after 38 years of ministry, I can think of all kinds of the word I want. Terrible responses. Right? I can I can point out guys who are in leadership at one point and now just don't even go to church anymore. And just blow it all off or or others that have, you know, they show joy and then they're gone. Just all kinds of things. 38 years of ministry, there's tons. Wouldn't you agree with that? There's just tons of stories of absolute failure. A response, you know, and that can get really discouraging. And then you look around and you say, Yeah, but what? God's still working for Jesus. It's amazing to see some things, just amazing, unbelievable things. You know, in counseling ministry, for example, you get a front row seat on watching people change. Also, a front row seat and watching people just run away from Jesus. But, but it just seems like if all we think about is what's happening, we're going to lose the fact that Jesus made promises about his kingdom. And we can't let people's responses um, say, well, what Jesus said was wrong. Okay? We have to pause and wonder at the magnificent work of God. His kingdom rule through Jesus will. It will accomplish what he says. It will advance. It will continue to grow. Um, and you have to stake all that you are on that, all that you do on that, stake it all on that. Jesus said it's going to happen, so I need to keep going, no matter what the responses are. All right? Your, your service, your ministry, your work for God is based on the promises of God, not on the present circumstances. That's what you've got to see. Um, all right? So even though I'm working hard, right? And sometimes it just seems like I'm going backwards. I've got to remember the promises of Jesus and the promises of God, and everything has to be staked on that. Okay? There have been times where it's like, wow. You know, when I came to LaRue, I can remember this. 1985, we came to LaRue, and the guy who was before me, Kim, Kimberly, was a very, was a very charismatic fellow. Very charismatic. He, he, boy, he was good. He left the room and went to Indianapolis and found the church that eventually became a huge major. He was even considered um, as a, being offered a job of chaplain, chaplain for the Baltimore Colts. That's the guy I follow. And uh, I think the first Sunday I was there was like 140 people. By the end of the summer, it was 70. Because they didn't get a charismatic guy. They just got a applause. I remember one time. We just moved in and a kid and, and Kim Kimber was this incredible basketball player. 
And a kid walks up on my front porch and says, hey, you want to come play basketball with me? I was like, well, I can't. I've got to put my kids to bed, right? That's what they got, as opposed to Kimberly. So, uh, you know, that first summer is like, wow, this, is, this isn't looking good. We're, our attendance has been cut in half, right? Um, so, you know, um, you've got to believe the promises of God. You don't, don't go on what's happening. Can't state on what's going on now. You've got to put it on the promises of God. All right, now the next section from chapter 6, verse 30 through chapter 8, verse 26 is all about seeing clearly. And here you find a whole string of miracles with some teaching, but one theme is who can see clearly? Um, in most of these incidents, you find an element of the disciples not seeing clearly what Jesus is about. And that's the overarching telos. It just seems they're not seen clearly. Okay? Um, and this is illustrated with the last miracle in this section. The last miracle about a man who, um, who could not see clearly. He's the blind guy and uh, he couldn't see clearly. And Jesus... Uh, you know, I haven't read it for this week. I should have Jesus puts mud on his eyes and she washed it off. He says, like, it looks like men look like trees walking. So he couldn't see clearly. And of course the question is, what, what, was Jesus' power kind of off that day? Right? You ever think about that? After Jesus does this miracle, why can't he see clearly? It's because he wants to make a point with this guy. That he didn't see clearly. That's the overarching telos of this passage. And sometimes we're like the disciples. We're so familiar with Jesus and we can't see him clearly for whom he is. Okay? So the first thing is the feeding of the 5,000. That's the first thing in this section. Alright? Now, Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. You ever notice that? That's weird, isn't it? You give them something to eat. And I think he was testing them. Um, what should they have said to him? Alright? What should they have said to him? Think about this in terms of um, in chapter 6 they're doing all these marvelous things. Right? They're doing all these marvelous things and it's because Jesus has given them the authority to do it. He gave them that authority to do that. Um, and so he says, he says to them, um, you, you feed these people. Now what should have been their response? When Jesus asked that question, what should they have responded? You think? It's in your nose. What should they have said? What could they have said? They should have responded immediately with faith. Alright? They were the same men who just returned to Jesus reporting all their miraculous deeds and what, and what they did through the power conferred on them by Jesus. So, 
They should have said they should have seen that Jesus had given them the power to cast out demons. So, well, then you need to help us. You need to do. You need to provide that for us. Um, but again, you know what? Don't put down your nose on the disciples. I mean, as I was studying through this, the thing that goes in my mind is, I look back at all the times. Okay, let me. I'll tell you something. Everybody in the room knows this. Um, mine. The, the thing I have to fight the most against is anxiety. My first year of ministry was absolute torture. Absolute. My first year of ministry was just horrible. Because I was worried about everything. I mean, I was consumed with anxiety. Let me give you a little history here. And, and right about the year mark, a little after the year mark, um, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling, and um, I don't know what to do. I don't have answers for people. I'm concerned with worrying myself. And I get an opportunity to go to the Fundamentals of Biblical Counseling in Lafayette, Indiana. And so I went, and in the midst of that, as we talked about anxiety, I found out I wasn't such a noble person with my anxiety. I was sinning like crazy against God with my anxiety. But I was also taught what the Bible says to do about it. And God gave a lot of grace and taught me, and I was um, able to um, essentially get out of that mode of, of constant anxiety. Having said that, that's still the thing that I have. That's the that's the thing that I have to be on guard all the time. I can slip back into that real easily. Now, why do I tell you all this? I'm telling you all this because I I can part of the part of the Part of the answer to anxiety is to just stop, look back, and look at all those times when you were anxious and see what God did. You look at the faithfulness of God. This is one of the answers to anxiety. You look at the faithfulness of God and say, yeah, I remember when that was going on and I thought, oh man, I'm dead. And God worked through that, right? And there are other times you look back and say, yeah, that turned out a whole lot worse than I even imagined. But God was still faithful, even when it didn't turn out well. Alright? And so, for me, I can't look down my nose at the disciples because I know what it's like. I can look back over a whole lifetime of God's faithfulness to me, and then something pops up on my radar screen, and immediately, what do I want to do? I want to worry about it. Right? It's got to worry about it. It's like, what is wrong with you? You've got all these decades of God's faithfulness and something new pops up and you're going to worry about that after all these years of God proved himself faithful. So I can't look down my nose at the disciples and say, why don't they get it? Because, frankly, what? We don't get it either. Right? Yeah, our first response is to say, God, I can't do it, but boy, I need your help. Please do it. Typically, that's not our response, is it? And so this is written to us to tell us, hey, look at Jesus, see him clearly. They did not see him clearly yet. Okay? Alright, let's quit there. So the next thing we talk about is the walking on the water incident. Right? And the question is, he wants you to ask, who does not recognize Jesus and who does recognize Jesus? Who doesn't? Who does? Okay? We'll quit there. Um... Yeah, time to go. All right, let's pray. Father, we're looking forward.
time of worship together. We anticipate you being with us, your presence being made known to us, the Holy Spirit working in and for us. And so, Lord, we look forward then to that. Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to see the Lord Jesus clearly. Um, help us to see there are going to be many different responses to him. And that we, we ask that you not let that discourage us, but to encourage us in the ministry of, of the gospel of his kingdom. Thank you now in Jesus' name.